The Athletic. From where I'm sitting here, things have changed a lot in the last 10 days, and it's City who are the likely winners, even if they're currently sitting in second. Personally, I think Luis Enrique will be in the Premier League next season. I don't know which London club he'll be at, but I do think he will be in London next season. Away from quality, away from players delivering when it matters, it does feel as if this is going to come down to attitude as much as anything, and it's going to come down to Leeds' ability to dig in when they need to, to grind it out in the way that somehow they managed to last season. You're looking at Madison and Barnes here, they're the inspiration. You know, they're, they're, they're two of the very best players in this relegation fight, and you could argue Madison is, is the best. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365, Steve Freeth and Tim Spears. After back-to-back draws, can Arsenal pick themselves up in the title race? Newcastle welcomes Spurs to St James's Park as the battle for European qualification hots up and Phil Hay is going to give us the lowdown on Leeds' woes and we've also got FA Cup semi-final action to get into as well. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. Good link-up play from Arsenal again. They've done this so much this season. And they finish it off with Jesus. An early goal for the Gunners. And more sweet, sweet football for the Gunners. Martinelli swings it in again. The overload is there again. It's exceptional. It's Arsenal. It's Erdegaard. Oh, lost there from Arsenal. A chance. Penalty. Arsenal playing themselves into problems. And David Coutin, no doubt. And Saeed Benrahma, who scored. His previous three, can he score this one? Yes, no problem for him. And maybe a problem for us. Saka, in it goes. All oh, Fabianski didn't come. And Arsenal looking for a handball this time. Hold on, penalty. Another one. And Antonio, not much complaint from him. Saka. Helps it back in an Arsenal. Corshaw! Sarah Corshaw! Jared Bowen! With a hammer to the title! Haunting stuff there. The Arsenal fans listening to the show will be absolutely delighted to relive last weekend through that medium. That was very, very haunting. George, I'll start with you. How precarious is Arsenal's lead in the title race after what's happened in in the last two games? I mean, bearing in mind they can't hold on to a two-goal lead at the moment. Are you expecting them to hold on to the advantage that they have in the title race? Yeah, this is where it becomes an interesting question, where, of course, Arsenal do have a lead at the top of the Premier League table. It is a four-point lead with a game more played. But are they ahead in the title race? In my mind, 
they're not ahead in the title race. They are second in the title race and that's reflected in the prices as it stands right now you know Manchester City are four to nine to win the league Arsenal are seven to four yes it's in both of their hands because we know that if either team win every game until the end of the season then they will win the league because they play each other but right now if this was a you know if this was a horse race you've got Arsenal who've been out in front all the time who are tiring idling up the hill off the bridle jockey really trying getting going where City are just looming large, absolutely tanking on the outside, about to breeze past them. Like that's the way it looks from here, and that doesn't mean that the you know the the uh, the horse out in front isn't going to plug on and get home in front. But when you ask about the precarious lead, it is yeah, it's incredibly precarious, and because of their their current woes in terms of keeping holds of leads, and you know you have to think that there's a fair amount of you know bad luck that comes into this as well. You know the the Saka penalty, for example, is. It's one of those where it's it's a foot away from being the perfect penalty. It's just the wrong side of the post. If they score that, they, they win the game and, and, and you think they're in a much better position right now. But from where I'm sitting here, things have changed a lot in the last 10 days and it's City who are the likely winners, even if they're currently sitting in second. I mean, I was so haunted by that intro piece. I didn't introduce the game. Arsenal are playing Southampton at home and it's a Friday night kickoff at eight o'clock. Steve, how are the odds reflecting what's happened in the last few weeks. Now, like George says, Arsenal are ahead in the title race, but the way everyone talks, it's like like they're not. But I guess it's because Manchester City are proven and they're an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, well, Arsenal were 8-13, to 13, Dan, to win the title uh, probably less than a month ago. So they have drifted out to 7-4, to to second best, as George has already touched upon. Yeah, that 7-4 price is the biggest price that Manchester City have been all season. So they haven't been a massive price at all. The bookmakers have kind of known that Manchester City, with their with their course form to stay on the on the horse analogy, like George was on about, they have they have the course and distance. They know what it takes to win the race. I mean, we're a little bit scared of going a big price, so they have been seven or four. That was when Spurs beat them. When Harry Kane broke Jimmy Greaves' record, I think it was to uh, to be top uh, Spurs goal scorer. And Arsenal have wavered, of course, and and as a at Bet365, we certainly know about that with our two goals ahead early payout offer. Of course, Arsenal have, have blown two leads in the last in the last week or so. We have paid out on Arsenal after about half hour at Anfield and after about 10 minutes last week against West Ham. And this two, two goals ahead offer, I, I don't expect any violins, but it's cost us quite a few million over in, in recent times. There's been some real high-profile games. Those two games, of course, and Manchester United against Sevilla. Just last week, when United were were long gone to win that game, and it's not it's 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 not only singles in your pre match bets as well. It's 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 multiples, it's super boosts. Just for example, Jesus to have a shot on target and Arsenal to win last week. It didn't win, did it? Because Arsenal didn't win. However, with this offer, it did. But yes, clearly, uh, Dan, we think Manchester City are in the box seat now. I do also have a market on the Premier League winning distance. So I'll be interested to know what you guys think and how far the Premier League will be won by this season. And it does include goal difference, by the way. Um, I will just say that five of the last seven seasons have been won by 10 points or more. And of course, City and Liverpool have a, have a, have a few nail biters uh, with two two of them being decided by one point. And it was decided by goal difference about 11 years ago as well, wasn't it? I think mm. with Manchester City won it. So I don't know what you guys think about how... Is it bracketed? Would it be a close one? Yes, bracketed, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I reckon it'll be somewhere between like two and two, three or four, I'd have thought. I'd say three points. Okay. Tim? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it gets to the last day, yeah. Probably three points. 
Yeah, one to three is is eight to thirteen favourite, um, just ahead of four to six and one hundred to thirty with with goal difference. The title to be decided by goal difference at seven to two. Uh, Ten or more, by the way, is uh, is fifty to one, which is of course a, a bit of a big ask. Tim, is Arsenal's youthfulness now coming to the fore a little bit? I mean, it was spoken about a lot at the start of the season how the, how they were fearless, they were going into games carrying a lot of energy and and no fear at all. Now at this stage of the season, it is their first title race. Is it a case of being a little bit nervy or is it a bit like what Carragher says where they've actually got complacent at being 2 nil up two games in a row? I think I think youthfulness is a, is a fair assumption because, you know, they've got the youngest squad in the league along with Southampton, the youngest average age. I think that's played a part of it. I wouldn't say nervy because if you watch the opening 20 minutes of the Liverpool and West Ham games, they looked the complete opposite of nervy. They looked, they looked nerveless, to be honest, the way that they approach those games. So I think... I mean, Arteta sort of, sort of surprisingly hinted at it last week. He said it was that they sort of assumed that they'd won. I think it was what he was was getting I'd at, and that it was too easy. Surprising, for them isn't Western. it? Considering what happened the week before, you'd think after the week before they'd adapt to that. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, he said they sort of stopped playing with the same purpose, which again, yeah, is, is very surprising to me. I know that they had a Jorginho in in January, but I think in hindsight, if Arteta knew they were going to be in a title race this season, he probably would have added a, a couple more sort of been there and done it players. I don't think he was expecting them to be in the title race. You know, you look at Liverpool nearly achieving perfection last year and Man City being Man City. I, I don't think he expected Arsenal to be in one. And if, if he did, I think he would have, we would have brought in a couple more experienced heads. Um, bear with me here, but I have been thinking about Wolves' 2001-2 season quite a lot this week because, and Steve, <laughs> Steve's am, not allowed to I talk am. in this section. <laughs> Because uh, Wolves Wolves were like 10 points ahead that season. And to continue the horsey analogies, it's known as their sort of Devon Lock moment. Because, um, but basically they had, they had successive two, two all draws away from home and they blew a lead both times, which is why it sort of dawned on me. Um, anyway, they ended up blowing it to a team. I can't remember who it was. Uh, this was the championship promotion race. But I remember at the time thinking, how, how on earth can a team who's been top of the league all season, you know, blow it at the last? Uh, and not get promoted. I think that was more cockiness, to be honest. But what what the manager at the time, Dave Jones, did in the summer was bring in Paul Ince and Dennis Irwin, two really experienced heads, and that really transformed Wolves for next season because because then they and they they get promoted the next year. So I think that's something that if Arsenal don't make it, Arteta will look at. It, this isn't a collapse, and I'm not comparing it to Wolves in that way. But Arteta, Arteta identified complacency, so that's something he'd need to address with with the with the characters he's got in this one. Because they've been in the title race now, you imagine it opens up a, a different type of market for them in the summer. Last summer, with not being in the Champions League as well, it's probably sensible to go the market of the of the younger player. And and you know they did excellent to bring in Jesus and Zinchenko, and both have been superb for Arsenal th- throughout the season. Saliba coming back was a big one as well, kind of refreshed their defence a little bit this season and revitalised them. But he's unlikely to return at the weekend. Not sure they'll be too concerned against Southampton. But they are continuing to assess him ahead of the visit to Manchester City midweek. George, how much of an impact has his absence had, particularly in in losing the leads they've let slip recently? Because there is a drop-off from Saliba to Holding. I'm not pinning it all on Rob Holding at all. It's it's a team game. It's a collective thing for Arsenal. But the drop-off, it is big. Yeah, it's always really hard to kind of make the intangible tangible and try and work out how much the absence of an individual player can have on a side. Like if you're looking for 
moments where Rob Holding has fallen short, then quite clearly the, the penalty that was given away against Liverpool is one that maybe, you know, it was clumsy. You maybe wouldn't anticipate that Saliba would do that, but you don't know. In terms of the goals that they conceded against West Ham, the first penalty is given away by, by Gabriel. The second one is a, a kind of lofted ball over the top and a decent finish by Bowen. And let's remember that even though Arsenal have been incredibly good this season, their defensive record isn't consistently great. Like they, they concede a fair amount of goals. They're just very good at scoring more than the opposition. What I do think they miss with Saliba is he is so, so good in possession and he exudes this incredible calmness about him where I think the in terms of the you know recycling the ball, in terms of starting attacks for Partey and for Shaka, they can play a bit further forward knowing that someone of, of Saliba's technical ability is, is there and able to dictate dictate play from the back in, in a pretty similar way to how Virgil van Dijk is able to do for, for Liverpool. And I think lacking that and lacking that calmness is, is certainly going to see a drop-off in kind from the performance levels. And then also just having, you know, Arsenal have been blessed by having a consistent centre-back pairing and goalkeeper for the majority of the season. And we never know just how important that can be. But anyone who works in football, any manager, head coach, any centre-back will tell you how important those partnerships can be. And therefore, disrupting that is always going to hurt. You know, it's important to point out as well that Saliba's been out for four games. And in the first two, Arsenal were incredibly good and battered both teams they played very comfortably. So it's not as if you know he's come out of the side and they've immediately dropped points. But in this world where we have to you know, work backwards and look at results and then try and attribute meaning to them. There's no denying that if Saliba had been on the pitch rather than holding, it feels like there's more chance. That the chances are they'd have got more than two points from the, from the last two games. Yeah, it is top v bottom, of course, on Friday night. A word on Southampton, please, Steve. That's six games now without a win, but they did take a point in the reverse fixture they have any hope of surviving? I, I, I did say in this podcast last season, I did say they go down in, in the next two years, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, of course you did, uh, Dan, yes. Uh, do they have any chance at the Emirates? They're going to be 20 to 1 plus, I would say, come, come kick-off time. But I'd like to maybe spin it around just a little bit, like I like I like to on this, on this show sometimes. Um, I think it's a good time to be playing Arsenal, quite clearly. They've won four games away from St Mary's this season, turgid at home, but... They've conceded 23 goals away from home, which is the same amount as Brighton. Uh, less than United, Spurs, Liverpool, Brentford. Lost narrowly at West Ham, drew at Old Trafford. I know I'm clutching at straws just a little bit. Arsenal could have three clean sheets at home this season. Joint 19th in the Premier League. I think Southampton will see this as a free hit. I think they go there with plenty of confidence. This is their last chance saloon, I would say. OK, they're, they're going to be 20 to 1 shots, but they're 8 to 1 to stay in the league. They're 1 to 14 to be relegated. I know they've got a huge game coming up against Bournemouth away next Thursday. They've got Forest away and Fulham at home. I can see them taking the shackles off, you know what, and having a little bit of a go and surprising Arsenal Friday night. I don't think that Arsenal are the certainty that many people think they are. Next, we're going to look at the race for European qualification here on the Weekend Preview. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
We're going to look now at the European football contenders. And this weekend, we have Brentford v Villa and Liverpool v Forest, Saturday at three o'clock. Three European Cup winning teams there for you, Steve Freeth. And then Newcastle v Spurs is on Sunday at two o'clock. Tim, Newcastle saw their five-game winning streak ended emphatically at Villa Park last weekend. Ideal time for Dr. Tottenham to come into town, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they were they were blown away at Villa Park, but this is um it's an ideal fixture. I mean, Spurs are in I don't know how to describe it anymore. It's 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 in fact, can I just say I don't I don't get many predictions right, but I did say they'd lose at home to Bournemouth last week, so I'm just gonna bring that up. Um they are truly shambolic at the moment. I mean Spurs are still in the top four race, but if you ask the majority of their fans, would you like to end the season now? I think most of them would say yes. They're completely at the end of the tether. They've all turned on each other. They've turned on the owners. The manager's been sacked. The players are getting it. Sanchez was booed off last week and Porro had to delete his social media because he was getting so much stick. So it's bizarre. I mean, Spurs have identified this week that's coming up for a, uh, for a long time now. They've got Newcastle away, as you've said, Dan. Then they've got Man United at home in the week. And then they've got Liverpool away next week. So it's kind of felt like make or break for top four, but... I don't know. I don't think there's any sort of feeling from the Spurs fans that, that they are going to put on a run to get fourth, especially when you look at how Newcastle are playing and how Man United have asserted themselves for the majority of the season after that terrible start. So, um, yeah, since Conte sacked, they could easily have sort of lost all three. They struggled to a point against 10-man Everton. They somehow beat Brighton, even though they were outplayed. And then, yeah, they lost to Bournemouth last week. Basically, the players just look completely uninspired. And um, they're hoping the season just gets over and done with as quickly as possible, to be honest, um, despite the fact they're still in the top four race. Steve, where are they fitting in the race for top four qualification, odds-wise? Yeah, they're six to one, Dan. So clearly they've got they've got work to do. Uh, Tim's touched upon their next three games, Newcastle away, Manchester United at home and Liverpool away. So you know what's coming next. I've produced a market on how many points they will get over these three games. So again, I'm going to ask you how many points will Spurs get from Newcastle away, Manchester United at home, Liverpool away? I'm going to say none. Three. Okay, Thir- 13 to two, Dan, he's, he's zero. Three for George, which is three to four, a couple together, George, at 11 to eight. Tim, the guru, the master. I'll say four, because they, they still seem to manage to pull results out of the bag from somewhere, even though, even when they don't play well. So yeah, I'd say yeah, four. Uh, yeah, a couple doing the same with George, at 11 to eight. Uh, five to seven points is three to one. And, and to win all three games is 33 to one, which seems uh, a little bit on the short side to me. That Bournemouth game's got to have had an effect on, on the players. To have, to have pulled yourself back in so, so late and then to let Bournemouth go again and, and, and win the game is absolutely frightening. That All the hallmarks of a bad side. Nothing's aligned at Spurs at, at the moment. Like you say, the Spurs fans, I feel sorry for them. They're running out of people to have a go at now because they've, they've, they've had a go at every, every single aspect of the club. But yeah, the club is a total shambles at the moment. George, it's only one win in three now since Conte left and they haven't actually kept a clean sheet since the second leg of the Champions League last 16 tie with AC Milan I've just railed off a list of bad things there what, what direction do you think they're heading in I mean it, it's hard to argue that they're heading in any way apart from from in a downward spiral right now I mean it, it's such a weird one and, and Tim alluded to it there where I think perception and reality are always two very different things in football especially when it comes to f- football fans and the way that Spurs are being portrayed in the media the way that Spurs are being spoken about by fans the way that everyone laughs at their fall from grace and yet you look at the results themselves they've only lost two of their last eight games you know they've won four of those drawn two yeah the 3-2 defeat against Bournemouth is absolutely inexcusable but that came off the back of of four games without without a defeat 
But um, yeah, look, it, it's it's clearly just a, a total mess. And it does feel like with Antonio Conte, you know, you're doing a bit of a deal with the devil where we've, we've seen this continually where Conte leaves clubs in a bit of a mess. But normally the trade-off is that you get a little punch of success to start with that kind of justifies the end. Whereas Tottenham's little moment of success was just a very good run towards the back end of last season that got them into the Champions League. It, it doesn't really equate to winning a title, winning a winning a trophy. It's interesting to see who they're going to appoint. You know, interesting to note that Luis Enrique seems to possibly not be in the running for the Chelsea job, but but is in the running for the for the Spurs job. To me, that would be another very very shrewd appointment. But we've seen. Spurs appoint quite a lot of the supposed best coaches or best managers in the world um, in recent seasons. And it was uh, a Southampton manager who they appointed that's the only one who's actually managed to have any tangible success with them. And then we know that the stakes for Spurs are quite high, where surely Harry Kane will look at what's going on at Tottenham this season when with no Champions League football next season, with his career coming towards its, you know, the, the later stages, might just think to himself, you know what, I want a new challenge. I want to experience something different. It would be a disappointing swan song if Spurs were to continue like this for the for the next three, four years and Harry Kane was, was part of that. Surely he'll want to test himself and try and win some trophies. Tim, do, do you reckon being closer to the club than us, do you think Kane will be there first game of the season, next season? I would have said definitely a couple of months ago when he broke the record, he was very much like, I don't want to go anywhere. I think he'll certainly have a say in who the, Ned, in the, who the new head coach is, but... The big thing is, George, you won't have that many options in the summer. You know, we all, we all say, oh, yeah, Kane will leave. But A, who can afford what Levy will want, mm. which which I know he's only got a year left on his contract, but it'll be, it'll be, come on, we all know what Levy's like with his transfer. It'll be a stupid amount of money. And who's who's going to pay that? I don't think he'll go abroad. I mean, his wife's pregnant with, I think, their fourth child. So wh- where's he going to go? Man City have got Haaland. United. Liverpool Liverpool have got strikers everywhere. United, I guess, is the only one. But are they going to pay nearer to 100 million for a player who's out of contract in a year who's, who's just about to hit the wrong side of 30? I'm not convinced by that, to be honest. So I just, yeah, it's easy to say, sure, he'll go. He wants to go and win a trophy. But I, I don't know who can afford him or who needs a striker, to be honest. We've seen some money for Bayern Munich this week, Tim. Uh, yeah, they've, they've been linked for a while. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd just be surprised if he went abroad. But you yeah, record, no, no, you're true. I've, I've, yeah, the Premier League record is up for grabs as well. He's five to six, by the way, to still be a Tottenham player on the on the third of September. Um, and I take your point about you know his fourth child, but I've got four kids and they're easy to look after. So <laughs> um, Spurs after a manager's day, are you going to tell us who they're going to hire? I tell you what, this is this is really livened up this week. I would say. And I don't know whether some people think that Carlo Ancelotti seems to have more of a chance to be staying at Real Madrid next season as kind of a bit of a domino effect as to the likes of Nagelsmann and um, Pochettino as well, you know, being linked strongly with particularly the, the Chelsea job. Uh, Nagelsmann is the 6-4 favourite for the Chelsea job with, with Pochettino at four and Luis Enrique at four. But George touched upon it earlier. Luis Enrique has been back from 20-1 to one into 3-1 to one favourite currently for the Spurs gig as well. Personally, I think Luis Enrique will be in the Premier League next season. I don't know which London club he'll be at, but I do think he will be in London next season. Vincent Company's been on the drift because of Luis Enrique's money. Uh, Arnie Slot has been backed. He's the final manager. He's near doing pretty well at the moment. He's been backed into 11, into 7-1 to one this afternoon as well. Poch is on the drift big time. Opened our favourite. He's now 8-10. to 10. William still is a is a is the Alan Kirbishley of these markets these days. He always <laughs> finds his he always find we always find him in there. He's been back from forty. Don't into talk 12, to him about so, manager though. Doesn't like it these days. Oh okay. 
Okay, and uh, and Postecoglou as well. He's into sixteen. He's another manager that might be looking for. Uh, I was going to say bigger and better things, but I if any Celtic fans are listening, I didn't say that. Tim, my friend, my brother. Last week we spoke about Brighton potentially getting into Europe, but what do you make of nineteen eighty two European Cup winners Aston Villa's chances? And I didn't write the script just before everyone's hammering. Yes, me. you it's did. Me. No chance. Why are you coming to me? Because that's what the you know, script I, told I used me to love do. Talking about, that's what the script says. I, I used to love talking about Villa in the first few months of the season. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. No, to be fair, well, you know, you just, you can't argue with, with the job that Emery's doing. It's turning out to be one of the stories of the, of the whole Premier League season, actually. I liked what Emery said the other day about it sort of not being, not being a top six anymore, uh, in the traditional inverted commas way that we used to think of it, you know, with Villa and Newcastle in there. So, you know, things, um, things are changing really. And, um, yeah, Greg Evans did a great piece on The Athletic this week, sort of detailing yeah, um, what Emery's changed at Villa. Um, lots of things about the incredible attention to detail, the long hours he's putting in. He's there till nine o'clock every day. The tactical plans, you know, more of a Spanish style. John McGinn was saying more time on the ball. Obviously, the the, the runs that Watkins is making and the goals that he's scoring. Uh, the passing sequences out from the back. There's so many. There's so many good things that he's implemented. In terms of Europe, it's a tough one because Liverpool are the wild card in all this. You know, we know that they're capable of of winning every game. We know that they can do that if they play to their best. And you know, they, they they've got this habit of demolishing teams and then and then losing to someone relatively easy. You know, the next week. So Villa are six now, and I think I'm right in saying down their last two games are against um, Liverpool and Brighton, the teams in seventh and eighth. So hopefully they're all still in it. You know, going down to to those last two games because that would be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think the, the major thing with Villa last week is Emery has been playing in a specific way for, for Villa. He just completely ripped that up. Against Newcastle, it was this high tempo in, in your face football and Villa absolutely blew a very good Newcastle side. Why I don't even think that it was that Newcastle were bad. I think they were just taken completely by surprise by, by the way Villa played. And that's what Emery's done over the years. He's come up with certain plans for certain games and he certainly did that against Newcastle at the weekend. George, what about Liverpool then? Like Tim says, they're so hard to judge. So many times this season we've said, I think, I think they might be back. And then, like Tim said again, they lose to someone in the bottom three the, the week after. You just can't gauge what, they, what they're going to do. They can still actually reach 71 points. And that has been enough to finish top four in the last five seasons. And it wouldn't surprise me massively if they went on a very, very good run between now and the end of the season. You know, we've seen them twice in the last two months win emphatically um, the 7-0 winning of, of Manchester United and also the 6-1 win uh, last weekend away at Leeds. And when you look at what happened after the United game with that Real Madrid, um, you know, the Real Madrid second leg coming after that, being knocked out of the Champions League, albeit they were basically already out after the first leg, you can kind of see why there might be a bit of a hangover, you know, also with the, the fixture congestion added to that too. Off the back of this 6-1 win over Leeds with a side they will still think there is a chance they might be able to force their way into the top four. I'm sure Steve will tell us their model still has um, the price a lot shorter than we would probably imagine it would be given there's what a nine point gap to make up. But the fixtures are fairly favourable. You know, they've got two games now against relegation threatened sides in, in Ottingham Forest and West Ham. Then three home games in a row where despite Liverpool's poor performances for the most part this season. Their home form has generally been very, very good in the Premier League. Um, you know, their, their Anfield record remains good. They've only lost one game at home in the Premier League all season. That was against Leeds back in October. So three home games in a row and then still with Leicester to play and then Southampton on final day, the home game against Aston Villa in the middle. You know, it, it looks like a, a pretty winnable run. And we know that there is signs of, of them clicking between now and the end of the season. The, the difficulty for me is that how close do you want to get? 
you know, in my mind, when you see big six clubs having really poor seasons, almost the best thing that can happen to them is to fall outside the top six or seven and not get a European place and then have a season without playing Saturday, Tuesday or Sunday, Thursday or whatever it's going to be and be able to reset. If they do get into the Europa League, it's going to be hard to do that. They've obviously got a squad fairly well set for next season. They need to bring more players in and maybe falling out of Europe altogether might make that difficult to bring the you know the world class or, or the elite centre midfielders in that they want to bring in. And then I guess coupled with that, you look at Arsenal where there's no denying that the, the Europa League ended up being massive for Arsenal in terms of developing young talent. You know, the likes of Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka were able to get minutes at a time in their career where otherwise they wouldn't have been able to. And that's formed them into being very, very good players at a young age. So the likes of Fabio Carvalho or, or Curtis Jones or Harvey Elliott, it might be the best thing that could happen to them to get that football in midweek. But yeah, from where I'm sitting now, it feels pretty unlikely that they'll get into it purely because I can't really see Newcastle United dropping the points needed. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if we saw them go on a, a bit of a run between now and uh, now the end of the season. Having looked at the race for European qualification, let's now have a look at the fight for survival down at the bottom. While both Crystal Palace and Wolves continue to move into mid-table and away from danger, maybe even pushing for Europe, Tim Spears, the same can't be said for Leeds United. That's 11 goals conceded in two home games, which means Xavi Grazia's side now have the leakiest defence in the league ahead of their visit to Fulham at lunchtime. Before that visit, we spoke to Phil Hay about where it's all going wrong. What you've got at Leeds United at the moment is a sense of bafflement about the way the past two weeks have gone. Not because Leeds have been an outstanding team this season, not because they were in any way impressive for most of the the period when Jesse Marsh was head coach, and and not because they've been extraordinarily outstanding under Javi Gracia either. But in his initial spell of games, it was clear to everybody that, or it certainly felt as if there'd been an injection of organisation mixing up the plans depending on, on who Leeds were up against and, and to a large degree it was working it was 10 points from 6 games it was exactly what Leeds needed but over the past 2 weeks and over the past 2 games it feels as if the bottom has fallen out of it Nunez it's another the flag stays down Liverpool have 6 off the bench onto the score sheet to rub salt into gaping Leeds United wounds. The next three games are absolutely critical for them. They're at Fulham on Saturday, which I think they have to take something from. They've got Leicester at home on Tuesday, which, quite honestly, I think they have to win. And then Bournemouth away after that. In terms of the team, if Max Verber is fit, I think he has to come back into the defence. don't think there's any, any debate about that. Leeds are missing Tyler Adams in the centre of the mid- midfield. Still not clear if he's going to play again this season. And, and he is the type of the type of character, I think, who, who you want in there. We've got a piece online about Ilan Millier in goal. The stat was that between Palace's first goal and Liverpool's sixth, it was 11 shots on target for the opposition and 11 goals conceded. So there's a debate in there about whether or not the goalkeeping position is one that Gracia needs to look at, whether he needs to think about shifting it around. I've never been convinced with the goalkeeper. I haven't. I know he's a young player and I was Bielsa brought him up in the championship. He was young then, maybe 20. He was good on the ball, using his feet, but he's got no presence. 
it looks like you've got a kid in goal. Away from quality, away from players delivering when it matters, it does feel as if this is going to come down to attitude as much as anything and is going to come down to Leeds' ability to dig in when they need to, to grind it out in the way that somehow they managed to last season. And I think I came away from Monday's defeat feeling like this could be every bit as close as it was a year ago when they scraped it on the last day at Brentford. So we are going to look at the relegation battle now. Leeds are away at Fulham Saturday at half 12. Everton away at Palace and Leicester at home to Wolves both at three o'clock on Saturday. And then we have Bournemouth v West Ham Sunday two o'clock. Tim, we mentioned Liverpool before. They're playing Forest. Forest are currently on the longest winless run in the league. That stretches to 10 games now. And in that time, they've only picked up three points. They look pretty toothless at the moment as well, don't they? Uh, yeah, I think... You know, Steve Cooper just hasn't just hasn't cracked it. Sometimes in football, problems can be really complex and things that, you know, mere mortals like us who haven't played the game, you know, don't understand. But with Forrest and I guess with Chelsea as well, you know, if you're going to sign a lorry, lo- lorry load of players, it's going to be really, really hard to find your best team, your best formation, your best style, and therefore consistency in results. Whilst also keeping morale and, and team spirit high because you've got so many players, it's almost impossible, in fact. So... I think we've seen that at Forest, um, entirely predictable, um, even to idiots like us, really, that, that it was going to be an issue. So, yeah, it, it feels really desperate now. Forest, more than anyone, just you can feel it from the fans. They're so desperate, A, for Cooper to work out and to do it because they like him, but B, to stay up because it's been 23 years since they've been here, you know, and, and, and they're, they're, a, they're a huge club with a grand history. So it feels really desperate. I really feel for them going through it, but um, it doesn't look good right now. I wouldn't rule out Cooper being sacked before the end of the season just because they just they just need a win from somewhere just to just to kick start, you know. Seven games to go, they're on twenty seven points. I mean they need at least ten points, don't they, from from those seven games. You've got to be looking at thirty seven, I would imagine. You know, you, you get funny results sort of happening out this time of the year. But I just don't see where the goals are coming from, Dan. I mean, I said last week, Brennan Johnson scored half their goals. It's a lot to put on his shoulders, you know, his first Premier League season. Gibbs White, his first really full Premier League season as a starter. You know, he's done well, but it's sort of faded a bit recently. Jesse Lingard, no goals, no assists all season. You know, there's your issue. So they can't score their way out of trouble. Their away form is abysmal and that's that's what will cost them ultimately. And um, I don't see them getting anything at Liverpool this weekend. And yeah, they're in, they're in huge, huge trouble. Talking of bad away form, Everton have only one win away all season at Southampton back in October. They head to Palace, not at the ideal time. It's quickly become four without a win for Sean Dyche's side. Steve, what's going on at Everton? Well... It was so different a few weeks ago, Dan, when Everton were two to one for relegation, having a little bit of an unbeaten run. You know, the, the Michael Keane injury times, you know, won the goal to to get them a point there. Uh, but now it looks at the bottom, any two from four, doesn't it, to, to join Southampton? And we saw Fulham go to Goodison last week. It seemed the ideal time. Fulham, you know, on the beach, no Mitrovic. You're thinking, okay, this is it. You know, the you know the toughest crowd at Goodison will. will We'll get behind them, and then for the, for them to to lose three one in the manner that they did, and then of course they have they have Crystal Palace this weekend as well. Aside, just playing without fear, they're not going to get relegated. You wouldn't have thought. Um, it's a huge price that that happens, and playing with confidence now. The lack of options for Dyche off the bench is, is obviously a worry. And look at the games that they've got coming up: Newcastle, Brighton, I think Manchester City as well. Uh, the mighty Wolves, let's not forget as well. So, and the last game of course is against Bournemouth. Pretty hope that Sean Dyche and Co will be hoping that Bournemouth will 
we'll, we'll be on the beach, whether that's Sandbanks or not, I don't know. On more Alan Chime, to be honest with you, down at Bournemouth. But um, yeah, a real concern for Everton who are even money for relegation. Completely lost me with that final comment, Steve. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> George, it was a poor miss by Malpay against Fulham. You'll have seen a fair bit of, of, of Ellis Sims being our resident EFL guy. Is he ready or capable? Should he be playing over Malpay? I mean, he's definitely capable and, and a very good championship striker, which normally translates pretty well for, for young championship strikers to, to go up and make an, make an impact in the Premier League. I mean, I don't know whether or not he's better than Neil Morpé, who was one of the best championship strikers for a while and, and has proven himself to be a very good Premier League striker. But he might be more what Everton need, you know, even though he is someone who will score goals and is has a real calmness in the box that was shown by his goal at Stamford Bridge a couple of weeks ago. But it's interesting to note that Ellis Sims' only two starts in the Premier League for Everton this season have been against Liverpool and Manchester United, which is a pretty tough ask for you know a striker making his first starts in the Premier League. And I think the reason for that is because he is very good in the air. He can hold the ball up and maybe against better sides, you know, the, the, the idea being that he can make the ball stick or he can at least win the first, the first header uh, rather than getting the ball to come straight back to them. Um, I'd like to see him given more of an opportunity from the start against sides where he might be able to have more of an impact. He's definitely a player that I really like. He's a really well-rounded striker. He's got the physicality and the athleticism and the quality to to have a positive impact in the Premier League. But in Everton's position, do you really want to be relying on someone like Ellis Sims in order to, to get you the goals needed to keep you up? Probably not. Leicester welcome free-scoring Diego Costa to the King Power this weekend, having lost eight of their last nine. Their next three games are Wolves home, Leeds away and Everton at home. They're two points from safety. Will those games be decisive or definitive, Tim? Uh, yeah, probably because they're going to show us whether Dean Smith can make a positive impact. I guess they're similar to Forest, aren't they? They're just in a, in a horrible rut. But the difference with Leicester is, you know, they they have a new manager, so there's potentially some fresh, well, there's going to be some fresh ideas and Leicester will pray for some impetus, really. They're playing Wolves at a bad time in terms of Wolves' form, but it might help Leicester a bit that Wolves, you know, may relax a little bit. You know, they're very nearly safe now. Be safe for weeks. So too. we'll see how that safe one... for weeks. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, Dan. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at Madison and Barnes here. They're the inspiration. You know, they're, they're, they're two of the very best players in this relegation fight, and you could argue Madison is, is the best. Vardy, Dakar, Iheanacho ahead of them. You know, they have the players to, to, to get to score themselves out of it, basically. Far more quality than some of the teams around them. It's the defence, it's the keeper, whoever plays, you know. So it's up to Smith to instill the belief, I think, more than anything, because, you know, whenever I've seen them recently, they just they look like they don't know how to put together a game plan. They don't know how to win games and they've lost all their confidence. So like, like I said, they've got the players to be much, much higher in the league. So it's whether Smith can can give them the belief that they, that they can get out of it. Yeah, from what I've seen of them, if it starts to turn, the tide starts to turn, they have players that can quite easily go and go and hide, which isn't what you need in a relegation battle. Yeah, so not enough leaders. Smith needs, yeah, to, needs to turn that round, definitely. George, quick word on Bournemouth. How close to safety are they now? Um, Gary O'Neill has done an unbelievable job this season. I was going to say, I, I don't think we're giving, or anyone's giving him nearly enough credit. No, given I agree with you. He took over a side, Scott Parker was sat at the end of August, he came in. As I said, I've worked with him before. I cannot say I was expecting him to be a you know a successful Premier League manager this early in his career. But for a you know a former Premier League player, rookie manager to come in to take over a club who are massive odds on for relegation when he does, and to lead them to pretty much safety with a few games to go. And when you look at their results this season, the thing that strikes me the most is when you take games against the teams around them 
Um, so the bottom, say the, say the bottom four teams currently in the Premier League table, they've played six games against those teams and only lost one, which was a one nil home defeat against Southampton. They've beaten Everton three nil. They've beaten Leicester home and away two one and one nil. They went to Forest and won three two and drew one all at home. So those are the massive games when you're a relegation candidate that you've got to pick up points in. And he's made not only Bournemouth very hard to beat, but also a team who beats those sides around them. So yeah, he's done an unbelievable job. Back-to-back wins just when they needed them against Leicester and, and Spurs. I would be amazed if they get relegated from here. 16-1 to 1 they are, aren't they, Steve? And that wouldn't be seeing a tenner of my money. Um, I think Gary O'Neill deserves more credit for what has been one of the more surprising survival stories I think in, in recent years done by a guy with, with no managerial experience at all it's a really young coaching team around him as well so they're all learning on the job at the moment but my god they've learned quickly Steve how many points is he going to take to be safe in the Premier League this season well we're we're four to seven for the team finishing 18th to have 35 or less so I know Tim touched upon maybe 37 points it might not even be that much Tim to be honest with you. So it's looking with the team still playing each other in and around there and, and Forrest and Everton both currently on 27 points, even two wins, you know, you know, might even do it for the likes of, of Leeds. But of course, it's getting those results. They'll need that in the next three games. And and, and, and Bournemouth, as we've already talked about, they were odds on for relegation just two weeks ago. In fact, we probably chatted about a month ago, who are your three to go down? In fact, talking to anybody, I'd imagine 90% of the people a month ago would have Bournemouth in their three to go down. So, yeah, I'm doffing my calf like you all to, to Gary O'Neill. Let's finish this segment then with the trivia. We're looking to bounce back from last week. David Moyes is one of eight Premier League managers to win at least seven Manager of the Month awards. Can we name the other seven? There's got to be two, three bankers in there, surely. So Alex Ferguson's got to be one. I think I'm a special one. Arsene Wenger. I think I'm a special one. Jose. I reckon Jose, Jose Mourinho. I prefer really not to... Um... <laughs> He's conned us. He has absolutely had amazing. our pants down it's there. That it. is using Jose as the it. voice of my guy. He has had our pants down there, guy the guy the producer. Jose has not one. Not... Do we think Klopp? No. Do we yeah, think... Klopp. Yeah, Klopp. Yeah, Klopp. I think Klopp. I'm a special one. Pep. And Pep as well. I think I'm a special one. So that's that was Mourinho. So we've wrong. got so we've got three more to get. Uh, I think longevity. Who would have? Was around for a long, a long time, or had multiples. But sometimes managers at the bottom they win it, don't they? But they said well, that Mo- there's a Moisey. fight. He, well, Moyes was the, the example. I know, I know, but I'm saying oh, that's sorry, the example. Thought, of the <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw uh, in. I'm going to throw in a rogue one in. Allardyce. I prefer really not to, um, not to speak. No, I bet there's someone like that though. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Uh, uh, Benitez. I was just going to say Rafa. Yeah, I think I'm a special one. So far, there are all managers in the upper echelons of the of the table. I was just purely in terms of amount of jobs he's had. Mm, I was going to say Roy, but I don't think I'd be right. Rogers, maybe. Go on, let's. Do you are you guessing that, Tim? Oh uh, yeah, you going to guess Rogers? I prefer really not to um, not to speak. Parger. I prefer really not to um, Hodgson. Not to speak. I prefer really not to um, not to well, speak. We are rubbish this week. It's a tough one again, though, isn't it? Great question. Is another good question. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm pretty much out. I can't think of anyone. We have got a clue. Two British managers. Wow. Brucey? I prefer really not to um, <laughs> not to speak. Yes. British. Not Irish. Uh, British. Kev- um, um, Kevin Keegan? I prefer really not to um, not to speak. Martin O'Neill. 
I think I'm a special one. It is Martin O'Neill. Oh, dear. Ah, lovely. Nice. What, is that everyone? We've got more? No, we've got one no, more. We need one more. No, no idea. No, I'm out, I think. Right, so the uh, full uh, answer Harry, is... Harry Redknapp. Yeah, it is Harry Redknapp. There you is go. It? Yes. Perfect. Right, Steve. Got it. So, 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 Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, Pep, Jurgen Klopp, Martin O'Neill, Harry Redknapp, and Rafa are the answers there. Well done, producer guy. Stumps us every single week. I prefer really not to, um, not to speak. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Let's look quickly at the FA Cup semi-finals then. Man City take on Sheffield United and Brighton take on Manchester United on Sunday. The City game is on Saturday. Kind of cruised through the Champions League knockouts into the semis, didn't they, Steve? Yes, job done, Dan. Looking looking good for them, isn't it? Uh, odds on to win the the Champions League at, at four to six and strong favourites. And I know you're, you're quite sweet on Real Madrid, aren't you, as well? So... I don't know you think of Real Madrid's uh, percentage chance to get through, but Manchester City are quite sure. They're even favourites to win at the Bernabeu, actually, in the first leg, and they're one to three to reach the final. So uh, we are expecting them to go through. They're obviously favourites to win the FA Cup and the Premier League as well. So they're only nine to four now to win the treble. So it's uh, it's looking very rosy uh, in the Manchester City garden currently. Again, George Sheffield United are closing in on promotion back to the Premier League under Paul Heckingbottom, who was in interim charge in the end when they got relegated. How highly do you rate the job he's done at Bramall Lane? Yeah, he's, he's clearly done a great job. It's quite hard to to kind of quantify. There's been some controversy in the last week or so. You know, the EFL Awards on Sunday and, and uh, the three managers that are shortlisted for the EFL Manager of the Year Award or Season Award are Vincent Company, Michael Carrick and Mark Robbins. So a lot of Blades fans feel that um, can't really work out why Heckenbottom's been overlooked. My take on it would be that he's done a very good job, but maybe this is where we'd expect Sheffield United to be, really. It's been not a bad season to be a team like them who were in the playoffs last season with two of the sides that got relegated from the Premier League in Norwich and Watford being probably two of the worst sides we've ever seen really come down um, with, with what they've got at their disposal in terms of points tallies. Normally teams that get relegated from the Premier League really clog up the top end of the championship market. So to have them gone, you know, he's clearly done amazingly to get them to a semi-final, done very well to get them here. But maybe when you consider that Carrick took over Borough when they were just outside the relegation zone and that the off-field issues that Mark Robbins has to deal with and has Coventry on the brink of the playoffs, maybe their impact has been greater. But that's, I don't think, any slight on Heckingbottom, who himself, you know, he may not be any kind of a tactical revolutionary, but he's certainly got the likes of Elaman and Jai playing at a very high level. Um, they're a, a really solid unit, score a lot of goals when they're at their best and, and look destined to return to the Premier League and hopefully can give Manchester City something to think about in this FA Cup semi-final. It's a steep task, isn't it? Tim, injuries are continuing to stack up for Manchester United. They have a Europa League tied to navigate against Sevilla prior to us recording. But do you think Eric Ten Hag is going to have to pick and choose his priorities at the, this stage of the season? Uh, I'm not sure he can really in terms of rotation. I mean, they've got, the back. they've got so many players out. Yeah, I mean, obviously Martinez and Varane are out. Uh, Shaw's an injury doubt at the moment. Uh, McTominay's out when he's in the goal scoring form of his life. 
I think Garnacho's out, uh, Sabitzer, Malassia, and Rashford as well. It was it was a doubt. I mean, some of these guys might have played last night. We should yeah point out we're recording on on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, they are running out of steam at just sort of the wrong time at the moment. So he'll want to get as many of those back as soon as possible because, um, you know, when we think back to the start of the season, they're in absolute turmoil. So if they were to win, they've already got the EFL Cup. If they were to add the FA Cup, it would actually, it would be incredible really. So in this game against Brighton on Sunday, it's a fascinating encounter. I, th- I think the majority of the country will be, will be back in Brighton. Certainly all the neutrals will be, We'll be wanting the Seagulls to win here. Obviously, they'll be without Evan Ferguson, but but Danny Welbeck comes in, you would have thought, against his old club. Done it on the big stage before. And Brighton have only lost two games this year, calendar year, in 2023. So they'll be an incredibly uh, tough team to get past. I have I have Brighton as, as sort of favourites for this one, even, even as, as weird as that sounds. I just they, think are, they, the are and, they are favourites. They are favourites, too. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I just think with the, with the momentum that, that's with them at the moment and the, the performances, I mean, even when they have lost this year, it's been to Spurs when they completely outplayed them and got astonishingly unlucky with, with some horrendous refereeing calls. And then the other one was that Fulham game when they lost 1-0 at home. And I think they'd had like 20 shots to five and Fulham just managed to sneak a 1-0. So they're on an amazing run of form over a prolonged period of time now. And um, yeah, I'd have them to just just edge United, I think, um, unless the occasion gets to them. Well, they've already knocked out holders Liverpool in this year's competition. This is the big stage and it appears to be the stage that they kind of thrive on. That uncertainty at the back with Manchester United should play into their hands, George, because they've had some good days against Harry Maguire and co in the past. Yeah, you would think it, it it probably will. Um, you know, it's interesting where you try and assess who has the mental edge. Is that the most important thing? Or for Manchester United, who've already won the Carabao Cup this season, um, with this kind of being new ground for Brighton, is that the more important mental edge? It's impossible to say, but it's it's really interesting that Brighton are favourites for this. You know, we often talk, or people in kind of betting circles often talk about who would be favourite at a neutral venue as being a pretty accurate marker of as to who is the strongest team. Well, here we've got Brighton versus Manchester United in each venue and it's Brighton who are the favourites. And what that means is that the market, the betting markets think that right now, Deserbi's Brighton are a better team than um, than Tenag's Manchester United. And presumably that means that if they were to start the Premier League tomorrow with these squads, then Brighton would probably be a shorter price than United to win the Premier League, which I think is pretty telling in terms of, of where maybe the perception is that at least where Brighton have, have developed to um, in comparison to Manchester United. So those are our feature games to look out for this weekend, with this being how your weekend looks in full. Arsenal are first up on Friday night as Southampton head to the Emirates. Then on Saturday lunchtime, we've got Leeds heading to Fulham before four three o'clock kickoffs. Villa at Brentford, Crystal Palace take on Everton, Leicester welcome Wolves and Liverpool host Nottingham Forest at Anfield. Then there's the two games on Sunday, both at two o'clock in the Premier League, Newcastle Spurs and Bournemouth West Ham. Both FA Cup games are 4.45 kickoffs this weekend. On Saturday, it's Manchester City against Sheffield United Premier League against EFL. And then Sunday, it's Brighton versus Manchester United. Steve, over to you for the six scores challenge. Have we even ever come close to doing anything in this? Uh, probably not, but no. maybe, 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 Dan, that this is, this is, this is the week where a million pounds sole winner... Check, you know, you move into a, another mansion in Litchfield, you can have it right off. I've been to um, your house. Your house is far superior to mine. No, I reckon. The, I've got I've got a theory we've already run it, won it, and Dan's cashed in. He's just banked the mill. Ex- exactly. He keeps buying these villa shirts, these <laughs> yeah. retro villa shirts. They just keep appearing. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I've, we'll, we'll start with the uh, with the Ollie Watkins derby, Dan. Brentford versus Villa. 2-1 to Villa. Christ, you can't stop, can you? You Villa fans. Got to. Uh, Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace Everton. 1-1. One, one. 
Okay, team, I've got a couple of crackers for you, pal. Uh, Le- Leicester versus Wolves. 1-2. Okay, and Newcastle Spurs. 3-1 to Newcastle. Okay, Georgie Boy, uh, Liverpool Forest. 3-0. Great travellers, Forest, aren't they? Uh, Bournemouth versus West Ham to finish it off. 1-0. Okay, fellas, thank you. No bias in those predictions from myself or Tim at all. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. The Athletic Football Podcast will, of course, be back on Monday following the weekend's action. But until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy all the football, and thanks a lot for listening. The Athletic.